the biggest question that I get from executives who are trying to improve customer experience is, I know it's important, we're doing some good things, but it's complicated. How do I get started? So there's a ton of really good tools out there. What I didn't see was something that said, here is how you get started with a simple yet effective concept. And the thing that drives me crazy as a customer and probably drives you crazy is that simple thing where a company just doesn't keep its promises. And so I thought, I bet there's a thing here. And I started doing some research. And when you see customer focused companies, the one thing they do really well is they do what they say they're going to do. I'm Tracy O'Rourke. And I'm Elizabeth Swan. And we're from the Just-In-Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, we wrestle with tough questions. We talk to thought leaders. We discuss great books, and we get insights from Lean Six Sigma practitioners. We also let you in on helpful apps, bring you the news, and challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. Hey, Elizabeth, it's almost time for iced coffee. What's on today's menu? <laughs> today's highlight is our interview with Jeff Toyster, author of The Guaranteed Customer Experience, How to Win Customers by Keeping Your Promises. Jeff took the classic product guarantee and he came up with a formula to apply that to customer experience, which is a critical advantage for every business to apply. We'll let you in on an app that helps you acknowledge your employees, your colleagues, your mentors with colorful celebration boards. Tracy experienced one firsthand, so we'll hear about that. And for Q&A, we'll talk about what happens when you bring lean techniques into the home and who's getting the best results with standard work in the bathroom. We're gonna have some potty talk today. <laughs> and that's what makes it a great day at the cafe, Tracy. All right, up next, hot apps. Crazy, you recently experienced something called a kudo board firsthand, didn't you? Yes, I did. I'll share a quick story. So last year, my only on-site teaching was for a client of mine last May in the middle of the pandemic. I wasn't able to spend much more time on site with them because of the in-person restrictions. Plus, this was a healthcare client, and they were very busy trying to serve patients and get processes running virtually. But about a week after the training, I got an email from Kudo Board. I wasn't sure what that was. I opened it up, and it was a compilation of compliments from everyone in the class saying thank you to me for putting on the class. It was such a nice gesture. I was so happy to get it and it really did make my day. And so I thought we could share a little bit about this fun app because that gives, it helps you give kudos to fellow colleagues or peers for a job well done, or you could even say happy birthday or farewell or retirement party, whatever it is, but it really does make it fun. And you can always refer back to it. Uh, too, if you need a pick-me-up for the day. I so think, there's lots of things kudo boards can do. What what did you discover, Elizabeth? Well, I, I'm discovering I like your compliment compilation alliteration. <laughs> I like that. I think kudo board's going to probably steal that from you. Uh, it's got cool attributes. You can add text, pictures, uh, GIFs or GIFs. I never know how to say that. 
Um, and videos uh, to the CUDA board, just like yours, uh, which uh, we'll, we'll include. These are accessible forever, which is kind of cool. You could print them as posters. They'll do that for you. And they work on your phone. Uh, I looked up the pricing. They've got that sort of classic freemium model. There's a free version. Let's you create up to 10 boards for a small group of contributors. Or if you just want to test it out, how does this thing work? Uh, if you want a large group to contribute on somebody's birthday or uh, participants of your class uh, to contribute to a board for a teacher as great as Tracy, then it's $5.99. Uh, Tracy, I think you're worth $5.99. <laughs> Thanks, Elizabeth. <laughs> for a board, uh, for up to 100 boards. And then if you've got huge groups and you want unlimited boards and you want the ability to play the board as a slideshow, just kind of a nice idea, then it's $19.99 per board. Uh, they also offer business plans. You can pay $250 for up to 50 employees. Uh, and then they've got higher ones. And those come with company branding, this idea of shout outs. I don't know what those are, but they sound good. <laughs> or you can have comments and metrics. We love metrics. We do. And we love shout outs. You know, shout out. You hear that on the radio? Shout out to my posse, blah, blah, <laughs> blah. You know how it goes. So we'll include the link on the podcast post on our website so you can check it out. I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just in Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Jeff Toyster, a customer experience powerhouse about his latest book. When Tracy and I read this book, it turned into a guide to which companies keep their promises and which ones don't. Yes, I really don't like it when companies don't keep up their promises. It drives me nutso. Next up, it's a question we pose to our community. What techniques do you use to make standard work successful at home? First, a definition of standard work. My favorite comes from Jeff Liker, the author of The Toyota Way. He calls it the current best way. That means for any task or process, there is an agreement on what works and every, everyone does it the same way. Uh, he avoids terms like best practices because you should always be looking to find a better way. So standard work is always updated, but the trick is for many, uh, getting that essential, essential agreement on the current best way. So how do we do that? Now this all started because uh, a yard day my husband and I had a few weeks ago. So I realized that we had two different systems going on with our to-do list. Uh, we did what I will call our usual gemba walk or process walk around the yard. And we listed all the things that needed weeding, things are ready for mulch, needed clipping. And then we figured out what to tackle first in order to make sure the yard was in shape before June when everything is gonna grow like crazy. So I put what I thought were check mark boxes next to each of the tasks. And when we came in for lunch, I put a check mark in the box that, that said transplant poppies, cause I did it. But when, I, when he saw the list, he ignored my little check boxes and he put a big line, in some cases a double line <laughs> through the whole task. And of course I thought my method was better but that's probably a common mistake when you're trying to establish standard work, right? Absolutely. And I'm going to have to say, you know, I think uh, a couple of people said, well, you know, crossing it off has a bigger dopamine hit of getting it done than just checking the box. And I thought, you know what? 
That's why I like to cross things off too. I'm a dopamine gal. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think I remember somebody saying, well, just be happy your husband got the work done. (laughs) So that's... That is too funny, Elizabeth. And as you know, I've got two teenage boys at home and there's all kinds of things I'd like to make a little bit more standard, like how many showers my 13 year old should be taking in a week and cleaning the rooms. One big challenge we have is defining clean, right? To make something standard, we've, we've got to do some compromising on both ends. And this seems to be a continuous challenge for me. I've learned like most teenage parents, I gotta give up some things like dirty laundry all over, but cleaning up food is a must. There's nothing, absolutely no food allowed in, in the rooms because we've already had ant infestations and unfortunately those are more painful for me although i have tried to make them painful for them too by cleaning up all the dead ants (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i'm just having a a picture of what's going on with all the dead ants but um yeah you've got a little more of a challenge i think teenage boys you're just in another realm but we have a community that answered this question and they are so generous with their tips. I'm just gonna give you some examples. Uh, the, the dopamine hit uh, suspicion came from Ron Pereira. He's co-founder of the Gemba Academy. And, and my husband agreed, he does like that feeling of, of the, the big cross out. Um, Alex Svetlov, who's a continuous improvement lead at Whirlpool, he has what he calls rule number five. He said, bring lean home, but only use it on your kids. <laughs> never a spouse or a partner. That is probably a very wise rule. Uh, Another one of our colleagues, uh, Julie Savage Fournier, uh, process design and and process improvement specialist, she pointed out, it's key to start with the why of standard work. Why did I prefer checkboxes? Because I want to see what I did. And why did my husband prefer crossing the task out? Well, he says, because he'd like to see fewer visible items. It made him feel like he was getting stuff done. He, there, was, there were less things listed. Um, Hugh Alley, author and senior ops manager, who will be our guest on the podcast this summer, offered up a really nice uh, evolution of the box, the checkbox. He said they used, uh, they, they would fill in the box by quarters to indicate how much of the task had been done. Uh, I've seen that used for cross-training. That would be, you know, quarter or segments of a pie to show how much skill somebody has. But in this case, he's using quarters of the box to show how much of the task was done. And I I like that. I I plan on using, although I don't think it's going to work in the house. Um, But I realized uh, there were some big weeding jobs that were happening over, you know, the weekend or, or even over a couple of weekends. And both my husband and I, we were so dissatisfied we couldn't do anything to the to the list item either the check the box or cross it out because it wasn't done but if we had a quarter of a box we could have done that uh sally toyster operational excellence director for both starwood hotels and resorts and then marriott has a system for rating wine with her husband who happens to be today's guest jeff toyster so i saw some smiley faces on a list of wines uh, that they had gone to some kind of a tasting, but we should ask Jeff uh, if they collaborated on the system. Uh, the total kicker came from Jared Thatcher, who's author and continuous improvement manager for the Port of Seattle. And first he described his issue with getting his kids to 
do the dishes. So back to your issues, Tracy. And what finally worked was having his kids write down the definition of done. And I'd say at least half of our colleagues said, you know, you've got to create a definition of terms and you've got to involve the other people in the process, right? I have to involve my husband in the to-do list. You got to involve your kids in the process or the standards of whatever the chore is you're, you're getting to, uh, them to do, including cleaning up dead ants. Um, then uh, Jared mentioned having an example of standard work in the bathroom, which he said he would share with me if I was interested. Of course I'm interested. So he showed a photo of a toilet, which he's, his kids claimed was clean, right? So it's just a nice head-on picture of this white uh, porcelain bowl. And then he showed a photo of it with a black light. And, and the photo is showing up some stuff that it wasn't clean. And we will put the photo on our website when this video is posted. But I, I told him this turned the kids into like, you know, for enrolling them in like a forensic lavatory school and they could have a hit show called CSI Bathroom, uh, which he thought was a good idea. <laughs> oh my gosh, that... I love it. That is so funny. So I think I know what I'm going to be getting my husband for Father's Day this year. It's going to be a black light so he can check how clean the bathroom is. <laughs> it reminds me, do you ever see that commercial, that Cheetos commercial, when the guy, the dad, he's trying to figure out who's the Cheeto eating culprit, and he's got his whole family around the table, and then he's like, I'm going to turn this, I got a way to figure it out, who's the culprit, as he turns a black light on, and everybody has Cheetos smeared against their face, and the cat does too, and, and, and then he's like, when did we get a cat? <laughs> So I don't know, Jared, kudos to you. Your black light may become the parents' gold standard for defining what a clean bathroom means. Oh, there's going to be a run on black lights after this podcast, I, I guarantee you. I'm Tracy O'Rourke. You're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly, so you can go to www.jitcafe.com and go to our podcast page. Coming up, it's our featured guest, Jeff Toyster, author of The Guaranteed Customer Experience. Tracy, tell us a little bit about Jeff. Sure. So Jeff Toyster is an author, consultant, and trainer who helps companies develop customer-focused cultures. He's written four books, including The Guaranteed Customer Experience. Thousands of customer service professionals around the world subscribe to Jeff's customer service tip of the week email. More than 500,000 people on six continents have taken one of his video-based training courses on LinkedIn learning. Jeff has been recognized as a top influencer by many organizations, top 30 customer service professional in the world by Global Gurus, top customer experience influencer by Unimira and Panviva. I hope I'm saying those right. Contact the top contact center influencer, ICMI and Procedure Flow. And he happens to be the husband of one of our favorite people, Sally Toyster. Oh yeah. Hi everybody and Jeff, thanks so much for coming to the cafe to talk about your awesome book, The Guaranteed Customer Experience. We are really excited to have you. Thanks for coming. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, kind of an honor to be chatting with two people I really admire, published authors and 
process improvement gurus. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're so gracious. I know. Well, we have lots of questions about, about you, Jeff, and your book. I mean, this is what, your fourth book that you've written now? It, it is. It's number four. I have counted them, and, and you are accurate. <laughs> we, we still have just the one, but we're working. That's enough. <laughs> That's it. One is like a lot. As you know, one is a lot. It is. It is a lot. It is. So tell us, why did you write this book in particular? The biggest question that I get from executives who are trying to improve customer experience is, I know it's important. We're doing some good things, but it's complicated. How do I get started? So there's a ton of really good tools out there. What I didn't see was something that said, here is how you get started with a simple yet effective concept. And the thing that drives me crazy as a customer and probably drives you crazy is that simple thing where a company just doesn't keep its promises. And so I thought, I bet there's a thing here. And I started doing some research. And when you see customer-focused companies, the one thing they do really well is they do what they say they're going to do. Well, you know, they say that about leaders too. Do what you say you're going to do and then that you have the respect of a leader. Um, so I, I totally get that. And I guess my question would be, so what, what, um, what do you think is this really what, where people struggle the most is coming up with a guarantee and making a promise to customers and keeping it? Because I, I love what you said about how do we make our, how do we make a promise and keep it? I honestly had never looked at it like that. Like that is a great way to um, understand customer requirements and then really say, okay, what's our promise? That is a wonderful, how did you come across that? I think that, well, Jeff, I, I'm going to answer for you, but then you're going to add, you're going to add to what I'm saying, because I remember this, uh, oh man, 30 years ago at um, a process improvement firm I, I worked in when I was still young. And they talked about using the, the customer guarantee around products, right? And then you mentioned this uh, as a way to drive process improvement. Like if you have now guaranteed this, well, what are you gonna do to your process to live up to that? And I remember that uh, striking me as like, oh, okay. So you're using it both as a way to uh, signal to customers like, hey, you know, this is how good we are, but also you're signaling internally, hey, this is how good we gotta be. So how do we do that? And you talk about that. Absolutely. And let's relate it to the world of quality for a moment what's one of the first things you have to do if you want to have a quality product or service? Shoot, I have to answer that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say you have to be solving a problem. You have right? to be solving a problem. Excellent. And what else? You got to be doing it right. You got to be doing it right. And the big question is, in the, our universe here is, well, what does right look like? So the book didn't really start out as a pursuit of guarantees. It, it's, it started out as a pursuit of how do we standardize something that's squishy like customer experience? I mean, a big 
part of quality is standardized work. Well, if I'm making widgets, then I can produce a, a, a widget that is an example of the cor correct dimensions and weight and function and appearance, et cetera. But how do you do that when it comes to a customer experience, which is so incredibly broad? And so what I was really looking for was a simple yet effective model to standardize that. And the way you can standardize it is you hone in on, uh, home in on, on something specific, a specific guarantee, whether it's a brand promise, a product or service, or even a personal promise that you make. That, that's a guarantee too. You know, a guarantee is just a promise intended to provide assurance. So if I say, hey, I'm going to call you back today at five, that, that's a promise. Now, do I call you back at five or not? Right. That that's a very specific thing that, that we can measure and evaluate. So it started as a pursuit of standardizing customer experience, which is really amorphous. And I think that's the challenge that a lot of companies face. How do we standardize that? Yeah, that's the that's the qualitative world. Uh, and you took this uh, quantitative world's uh, initiation and, and brought it in uh, after recognizing, huh, this is a problem everybody's dealing with. Uh, this is more a question about you as a writer. I noticed in your dedication, uh, you acknowledged the folks that helped you keep going, you know, and I was wondering, uh, where did you get stuck or tell us about that a little bit? Cause I know that writing a book, uh, so many authors will resonate with that. Like just the process. So for me, the, the process is, is really about, uh, first validating. Am, do I have a unique message? And then if I'm going to write the book, is there a market for that message? And I think those are really important components for your, your listeners who are thinking, I'd like to write a book someday, understand that writing a book is like having a second full-time job. It's incredibly time-consuming. So it needs to be worth it, not just a, a, a check mark on your life's accomplishments. So I was having coffee uh, with my friend Denise, who is one of the brand experts in the world. And so I'm lucky enough to know her and she's always provided me with, with great advice. And so I kind of tentatively say, I'm working on this thing, what do you think? And I'm bracing myself for her to have kind of a lackluster response to it because I wasn't sure yet. And I explained the concept of, of a guaranteed customer experience to her and she was very encouraging. She said, I definitely see a book there. So to have an expert like Denise Leon, who is again, one of the world's foremost brand authorities say, I think that's a good book. Okay, now I'm ready to get started. The other challenge that I have is I try to write books that are both easy to read, but highly practical. And the challenge, and you as authors yourselves, I think you probably, I'm sure you've experienced this. Sometimes you know something so deeply, being able to explain it plainly is really difficult so that someone else can pick up your book and say, I understand exactly what you, what you mean by that. And so another friend of mine, Leslie Oflehaven, who is a customer service writing expert, but writing is a big part of that. I was really stuck on the first chapter and, and how do I frame this as a real problem that people can immediately understand that kind of grabs them, not just intellectually, but grabs them and saying, yes, I've been in that experience. 
And she had some wonderful feedback about how I should structure the chapter, but also how I should structure the model. And it helped me get unstuck. I mean, she really dove in uh, with, with kind of a heavy scalp on the first chapter. And by giving me some really, really good feedback, uh, that set up the rest of the book to be a lot clearer. So uh, two people that helped me immensely, and I'm, I'm grateful for them. Uh, and that's great. That's nice to hear because we, we don't do this stuff alone. If we're smart, we don't do it alone. Right. <laughs> so in your book, you mentioned that a guarantee has three elements, a promise, action, and recovery. So can you... I know that you, you, people really need a book to get the whole picture, but can you give us a snapshot a little bit around how you would explain those three elements? Sure. And, and ironically, I would not explain it by you know, just saying, I guarantee it. <laughs> that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's a guarantee. <laughs> so the, the broad definition, again, is a guarantee is a promise intended to provide assurance. And if we look at those three elements, the first element, promise, this is... This is the, the, the message I'm sending to my customer to assure them that we're doing something well. So let's use an example. Um, one of the places I really like to shop as a customer is Armstrong Garden Centers. It's a wonderful nursery chain, in, primarily in California. And their brand promise is gardening without guesswork. So it's a promise that holds value to me because I, I'm not good at gardening. I'm good at killing plants but I'm not good at gardening. And Armstrong is essentially saying to me, hey, we're going to help you grow plants. You're going to be okay. So that's the first step. And that's often the marketing, the sales, the communication to our customers. Step two is action. It's not enough to say, I guarantee it. I, I was recently on a road trip and I saw a billboard. It said, extra clean restrooms. Okay, well, this is the place to stop on a road trip. And I, in the book, I wrote about Bucky's, which has the cleanest restrooms in America of all gas station convenience stores. So I'm on this road trip and I'm seeing this billboard. I'm like, Bucky's competitor? Let's check it out. I will share, spare you the details. They were not extra clean. They were certainly not even clean. So just promising something does not make it so. You actually have to take action to fulfill your promise. Now, the third part, recovery, there will be times, no matter how good you are, when something doesn't go right, at least in the mind of the customer. And so recovery is really about restoring trust. So we go back to Armstrong. My wife and I have been planting uh, a lot of herbs in our garden, and we love basil mm -hmm. because we like to cook with it a lot. And it's nice to have a nice supply in your fresh garden so you don't spend an arm and a leg at the grocery store. Well, we'd bought a basil plant at Armstrong and it didn't do well. In fact, it died. And so we bought another one thinking, oh, maybe it's us. And that one wasn't doing well also. Now, recovery at Armstrong is not like a token apology or maybe a discount. Recovery is helping us regain and restore our confidence as gardeners. And so my wife spent a little bit of time with a very helpful associate, David, at our local Armstrong, describing what happened. And he quickly diagnosed the issue a little bit too much water, not quite enough sunlight. We relocated the plant and within a couple of days, it's thriving again. So that last part is incredibly important, but it's, it's restoring trust that going forward, we're going to be able to keep our promises. Mm -hmm. uh, first off, I just want to say, Tracy and I were talking about how 
uh, how much we learned about specific vendors from you. The two of us are like, ooh, Armstrong, they sound good. Or, <laughs> or what would the, we kept meeting and going, oh, Tracy, you had one you want to go. Like, I'm going to go get that luggage that they had. <laughs> <laughs> the luggage and, oh, Armstrong's. And I'm, I'm thwarted by some of your more local efforts because I'm on the East Coast, but Tracy's out in San Diego. So she's in your neck of the woods. Um, but I, I wanted to ask in terms of those three elements for the uh, customer experience guarantee or the guaranteed customer experience, which one do you think, which one in your experience do people struggle with the most? Is it the promise to action or the recovery? It's all of the above. It, it, it might be more fair to ask which department are we talking about? So, you know, pick a brand, any brand, go to their website, tell me what they're doing. I have no idea. You know, we're leading with technology. We're on sale. We're, what problem are you solving for me? So that the, the essence of that marketing, you know, really good marketing really speaks to a problem your customer's trying to solve. So Elizabeth, you mentioned that, that, that luggage brand, you know, my favorite luggage brand is Briggs and Riley. Because as a traveler, what problem am I trying to solve? I need something to carry my stuff. And I don't need it. I don't want it to fall apart. And if something does break, as frequent travelers, you know, it's inevitable. I need to get back on the road very, very quickly. Right. So that's a promise that screams to a customer. We can help you. If we go to operations, it, keeping the promise is the big challenge. Maybe marketing said, hey, we're going to do this from now on. Operations is like, what? But are you sure if we tested this? Can we do this? Uh, you know, you, you go to. Um, uh, a, a fast food place. And one of the more interesting things in fast food is drive-through order accuracy. How many times have you left the drive-through? You look in the bag, <laughs> something's not there or something else is that you did not want. That's, that's operations. Keeping promises is incredibly difficult. And then we talk to the customer service department and in customer service, we're, you know, especially as a team and especially in contact centers, uh, those people are hearing about broken promises. And so their mission is recovery. But unfortunately, I think most employees are trained and more, more, most policies are set up to focus on some sort of token apology and some sort of transactional effort, but not really restoring trust that we can get this right in the future. And so I, I think it really depends on which department we're talking about because I see companies struggling with all of these elements equally. Briggs and Riley, I actually, I back you on that. I had a Briggs and Riley bag and was a road warrior like you and then wore the thing out and then brought it in and they were like, here you go. And that really struck me because I also knew I could do it. So they must've really communicated that promise to me. So I, I think you're right. Um, there's probably elements of all three uh, involved uh, in terms of where they struggle. And it's, it's different departments. So of course, different struggles. Well, and, and Briggs and Riley is a great example of a customer focused company that takes a holistic view of it. So as an example, when they're designing a new bag, part of their design process is to bring the repairs department into the room. Where did we do the most repairs on the last model? Where what were the most defects that we were getting? Well, let's design that out of the new model. But then we also have people that are representing the customer. You know, as travelers, one of the things I love about Briggs and Riley is 
These are bags that are made by people who travel. They get it. I mean, there's, if you, as, as road warriors, you get this, that there's a lot of features that come out on bags. You're like, oh, great. Like the bag that you can plug in and recharge your phone. That's great. Except I can't check that ever. And so there's a lot of features that seem cool, but aren't necessarily targeted to someone who travels a lot. And so having that blend of, you know, can we sell it? Can we keep our promises? And having multiple departments play a role in that, you know, that's something I think is a little different at customer focused organizations, where the typical organization kind of each department does their own thing, and they don't really talk to each other about whether or not we can consistently keep those promises. Well, from a consumer perspective, I feel like people are great at the, well, maybe not great, but they don't, they talk about promises or they make you believe they're going to fulfill a promise. And then they fall short in action or recovery. And I was actually, while you were talking, I was actually thinking about where I've been most disappointed and it's unfortunately insurance, right? Like healthcare insurance, you know, uh, life insurance, long-term healthcare insurance, you know, you have this promise that you believe that has been made to you when you need it, you're going to have it. And then lo and behold, you go to use it and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's not covered. No, 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 you got to pay for that. Oh, no, no, that's separate. Uh, you know, the, the worst story is unfortunately, you know, my aunt passed away and she was in the long-term uh, healthcare. She was investing in this for many, many years. She died before she could even get the coverage. Like, and she wasn't, it wasn't like months. It was like a year, like really? Oh, that just makes me so mad. And so- I was just curious. I mean, from my perspective, I guess, you know, that's the the thing that maybe they all struggle. And I, I think you raise a really good point about like working with organizations and the departments, but you know, that's where I'm the most disappointed is I had this expectation and, and then they just, they just didn't deliver and oh, makes me so mad. <laughs> well, and I'm you, sorry, I'm venting a little here. It's okay though, because I, I think you're representing the consumer and, and this is something that a lot of organizations need to understand that emotions drive our decisions as customers. And, and the number one emotion that customers often feel is relief. So if you're at the beginning of the, the insurance process and you're thinking about, I need long-term care insurance for my aunt, you're worried about something. You're worried about the costs and the hassle and the expense of long-term care. And if you find an, an insurance company that says, we're going to take the confusion out of it. We're going to make this process seamless for you. It's going to it's going to address that problem. You go from a state of worry and agitation to relief. Now, in your experience, and this is what unfortunately so many companies do to their customers that drive them away, is instead of relief, they give you angst and frustration. They compound the worry. They compound the anxiety. And so now you have a permanent negative emotion that's attached to that company. You're not going to do business with them. You will talk your friends and family out of do business, doing business with them. And that company is going to have to spend a lot more money on customer acquisition just to stay even. Yeah, you, you talked about the major emotion people feel is relief. Uh -huh. You know, when, when the recovery goes well, and Tracy's describing the opposite. You coined the term hunting for icebergs. Can you say more about that and what leaders should be looking for? 
Well, this is this is where our worlds squarely intersect. And that is one data point should be enough to arouse your curiosity. So an iceberg is simply something that might look harmless on the surface, but is, is really the first sign of a much deeper and more challenging problem beneath the surface. And one of the triggers for me is when a customer experiences something that they should not experience. And so I'll give you an example. A client of mine had a customer call in who was really upset about billing on their account. And they had called a few times before and each time the friendly representative says, oh, I'm so sorry, we'll take care of that. We will fix the problem. Yet the problem kept happening. So it's one customer, but it, should, it triggered an iceberg investigation because when the, the manager looked at this, the system shouldn't do that. And, and so too often we dismiss it, it's one data point. But, but what he did, which was really smart was, are there any other instances where this same error had occurred? Because if you know customers, you know that a very small percentage of customers actually complain, especially about minor stuff. But all those minor complaints could add up to big issues. And what he discovered in just a short investigation was this was a very specific error that only affected a few customers, but it was hurting the company to the tune of $50,000 per year. And it was a simple software problem. A few lines of code fixed it immediately. And just that one complaint allowed the company to save $50,000. I, I, think, I think he earned a long lunch that day because that's about how much time it took him with that iceberg investigation to figure out what's going wrong. In your world, I'd say it's, it's, it's going to the Gemba, right? It's going to the place. This shouldn't happen, but it did. Let's go and see and figure out what the heck is going on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's what I loved about the book too. And so thank you for mentioning us in your book. And I love how you weaved process improvement into the necessity of delivering an experience guarantee because it is, I mean, that is the experience of the customer, the process. And so I, I definitely agree with you. I think there's definitely a tie and you mentioned using PDCA and you mentioned going to Gemba and defining the problem, which I think what's, what's interesting too is, you know, you need a problem to, uh, you know, around processes for process improvement, but you also need a problem to market it. So I, I saw that that was a nice um, combination of pieces as well. My question to you is, what's the worst uh, way maybe one of your customers reacted? And like you talk about how you had to have a hard conversation with a CFO, somebody that you worked for, and they really didn't like the message <laughs> that you had to deliver. Is that one of the worst experiences or re- not experiences, reactions that you've had from somebody that you're trying to help? You know, I, I think I get a lot of those. And for me, it's a litmus test of whether or not I can help them. The, the companies that I, I advise, they're already good at what they do, yet they're open to looking at things from a different angle or a different perspective. You know, unfortunately, most of the advice out there in customer experience is, is wrong. And we can look at it and we've got data to prove it. But if most people are doing something, that's, that's kind of that we're following the crowd, right? Uh, so when I encounter executives who who push back and say, "Oh no, we don't we don't want to do it that way," that's okay. I just won't be giving any more advice. Um, 
I have a huge, I had a huge aha a few years ago, uh, probably around the time I was reviewing your last book. Uh, but it was this reality that I could write in my books, you know, that uh, I want to retain what I'm reading. I, you know, I'm being sparked with ideas, with things I want to do about what I just learned. I want to write down quotes that I got. Uh, but I, what I loved is the moment that you tell, you told us uh, readers that we could download a workbook. And I was like, ah, Jeff has solved the write in your book problem. Uh, you know, cause you're asking us to think about things we've got. Oh, look, Tracy's got a, she printed it. Oh, book. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you've given us exercises in every chapter to, to practice what you're teaching and that way bring it home and that way uh, turn it into a to-do and uh, solidify our learnings. And I just want to say, I love that. I love having uh, a workbook. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that you enjoy it. Uh, I can tell you one of the, the, places that comes from is it, when I'm speaking to a client, uh, often, you know, it helps to have something in our, our hand. And, and so I, I, I encourage them to write in the book. That's, that's what that physical book is for. The workbook, though, I think allows us to go a little deeper and kind of separate some of the exercises and activities. Because the, for me, the, a book is is a good book, if it's a business book, that's useful. I can implement these concepts. And so the idea of the workbook is really to provide an additional tool to the implementers. Now, the reality is most people will read it and not implement, mm -hmm. and that's okay. So it, it's, I'm really, the workbook is for that small group of people that will implement those concepts. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's who that, that's for. Well, I printed the book and the workbook for a reason because Elizabeth <laughs> and I do have some work to do and we really appreciate talking with you. Just, I, we're running out of time here, but I, I want to ask you two questions. I'll ask them at the same time. So what's next for you and how do people get a hold of you? Well, the, the first question is, uh, slow down, Tracy. <laughs> no. I, just, I just published the book. That feels like a lot. I might take a break. <laughs> Next up. And the second one, how do people get a hold of me? Guaranteedexperience.com. You could download the first chapter of the book. You could also find my contact information. People are shocked. I answer my own email. I answer my own phone. I respond to my own texts. And in every book, including this one on page five, I include my personal contact information. And I do respond to people. I love hearing from readers. So I'm easy to find. Awesome. Thank you, well, Jeff. Well, we really enjoyed having you at the cafe. We really appreciate it. Are you saying I don't need any more caffeine? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> keep caffeine. So caffeine, keep it moderate and you'll be okay. <laughs> Everything in moderation, Tracy, including moderation. I know. True. Well, thanks again for coming, Jeff. I can't wait to see you in person sometime. You know, pandemic's almost over. We're going to have to, you know, hang out at a real cafe at some point. I like that. We'll all be vaccinated. We'll all be safe. We're going to have a good time. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Stay tuned for information about our June 10th webinar, 
with Chris Chapman, where he describes how to use lean tools to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion. It is today's big topic and everyone is looking for tools to help. Also sign up for our June 24th webinar with our very own Tracy O'Rourke, where she'll discuss task cards and boards and how they help build better leader behaviors. And tune in for next month's podcast episode where we interview Katie Anderson, one of another one of our favorite people, author of Learning to Lead and Leading to Learn. One year ago, her book came out and we're going to check in with her and see what she's been up to to bring those lessons to the community. And if you want to improve your problem solving skills, listening skills, and your ability to react better in the moment, Come join Elizabeth's July 16th improv workshop in the moment, how to apply improv to lean problem solving. I participated in the first workshop and trust me, you've never been to a training like this. The point is not about being funny, but it is fun and people are funny. Elizabeth, you do a really nice job of weaving improv concepts with problem solving skills. You don't wanna miss it people, we'll include the link so you can register. Are you going to make me a kudo board? <laughs> uh, you're going to have to wait to find out. <laughs> we're happy summer is close and we're happy to have your company at the Just In Time Cafe. It's always better with all of you. Hope you enjoyed your jolt of lean caffeine.